You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Friday, 17 November. Today in 1869, the Suez Canal was opened. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. Quick programming note, I am away next week. Nampusizibeza will be standing in for me on the show today. Mateta Talari from RMB. So good US and UK inflation data. Can we confirm a soft landing? Was it perhaps too early? And will that help the czar? Peter Wartenhood from Life Healthcare Results. Uh, paid patient day certainly increasing uh, and life care molecular, Im- molecular imaging remains loss making but it is getting in the right places and ramping up and some thoughts from me on black friday this show is brought to you by stanlib visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists stanlib asset management is an authorized financial services provider Morning headlines for MoneyWeb. Distressed house sales saw 80% since last year. Too many buyers overstretched themselves and cannot cope with high interest rates. Business day. All eyes on Sasso AGM as top asset managers set to vote against its climate report. Old Mutual Investment Group has led the charge against Sasso's commitment to cutting its emissions, the largest in the listed space. Morning markets. Yes, was green. Uh, S&P and Nasdaq both up 0.1%. Over in the east, it's red, but not by a lot. Sydney and Tokyo both down 0.01%. Commodities, mostly green. Uh, gold, 1,988. Brent is weaker at 77.59. Platinum, 899. Palladium, 1,042. Rand, 1,838. Bitcoin, 36,400. 10 cent off, 2.6%. Uh, and top 40 opening call, green, but 12 points to the upside, 0.02%. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Today now with uh, Mateta Talari, he's head of FX execution at RMB. Mateta, appreciate the early morning time. Uh, US CPI earlier this week, 3.2%. It was 3% in June, but it's pretty much back at mid-2021 levels. UK was 4.6%, down from 11.1 a year ago, and pretty much also back at late 2021 levels. Can we kind of confirm a soft landing uh, for, for, for developed markets and then probably a stronger czar for next year? We saw the czar hit 1794 briefly earlier in the week. Good morning, Simon. Yes, the U.S. economy is approaching what a lot of people had thought was either unlikely or impossible. Now, inflation is returning to its pre-pandemic norm without obviously a recession or even a much uh, economic weakness, obviously the so-called soft landing. Now, we expect the economy to weaken a bit, but it does look like we'll avoid an outright contraction in GDP. Now, six months ago, if you think or if you looked at the consensus amongst um, a lot of the Wall Street Journal numbers, yeah. was that the economy would enter into a recession over the next 12 months. Now, when you also look at last month's survey, the average forecast was that there's now no going to be not going to be a recession. Now, a soft landing would be highly unusual. I mean, if you think about it, in the past 80 years. 
Um, whenever the Fed has never managed to bring inflation down substantially without spiking a, a, a recession. Now, that is quite interesting because obviously the strong economic rebound following the pandemic um, obviously did push inflation to four uh, decade highs, which was obviously the 9% that we saw last year. Mm. In response to that, you saw the Fed, um, you know, raising interest rates, you know, and that, that was at the highest level in 22 years. Now, the Fed aims for a 2% annual inflation. Now, when you flip the script, the RAND, obviously, as you say, it has been perky this week, thanks largely to the shifting fortunes in the FX market on perceptions about the direction of uh, U.S. interest rates, which are now uh, betting that, you know, the U.S. Mar- uh, interest rate has peaked, especially after the CPI data uh, that has come out from the U.S. Now, I think the market is anticipating that U.S. interest rate will not rise any further with cuts coming in the middle of next year if inflation maintains its downward trajectory. Now, the global market flow at this point in time is in the RAND's favor. <clears throat> I mean, like you said, we did break the critical 18, uh, 18.20 level against the dollar. Uh, that is obviously quite a key resistance level. And that obviously may open the path for further gains. Now, obviously, the currency did correct to some levels late yesterday. And obviously, um, this is signaling that obviously it is quite a technical level that needs to be broken down significantly. I mean, if you think about the RAND beyond all of this, um, the RAND doesn't have a lot going on for it, unfortunately. I mean, if you just look at uh, the prices for commodities, um, gold being a littering exception, um, you know, everything else in the PGM space has cooled down Mm. notably the PGM space. This means obviously less um, foreign exchange revenue for uh, for, for the government. Um, obviously, that's a key base for RAND support. On the bright side, I, lo- I think the RAND's rally this week is going to be welcomed as obviously it will help alleviate the inflationary pressures uh, from the imports and obviously that is going to play into Lesetja Khanyaho's hands. You've seen the petrol price come down. We are now anticipating a further petrol price decrease and I think that will obviously mean that come the inflation numbers that we're anticipating next week and also the MPC decision next week, possibly um, it may mean, you know, rates uh, staying on hold for, for longer. And and it is those those NPCs. I mean, the, the debate is now kind of shifting from, you know, are we uh, getting more hikes? That seems off the table. The debate is now when do we get the rate cuts? I think central bankers of the world over are going to be a little cautious about cuts just yet. Exactly. I think everyone at this point in time, it is going to be a wait and see approach. It's going to be data dependent. Like they've said, they're obviously going to watch to see what happens uh, from the geopolitical uh, tension perspectives, what's happening from a China data perspective. There's going to be a lot for the guys to consume before they can make their decisions. I mean, already, like I said, next week, Wednesday, we've got our own local CPI numbers. We've got the MPC already on December uh, the 13th. We do have um, you know, the, the FOMC also mm-hmm. again giving us their loss interest rate decision for the year. I, I think at this point in time, all the central bank governors are going to uh, adopt an wait and see approach. It's going to be data dependent. I think they're really going to be cautious in terms of their statements that they make, especially given how jittery the market is. So I think it's going to be quite interesting into uh, the last six weeks of the year. Yeah, I, I take the point on that, and and, and I suppose the, the the key point is that it's looking good, but we're not out of the woods. Perhaps that more than anything matters. Mateta Talari, head of FX Execution at RMB, appreciate the early morning.
When you stay invested over time in Stanlib's Global Multi-Strategy Diversified Growth Fund, your money's in for some smooth sailing. With our global partners, J.P. Morgan Asset Management at the helm, your money can withstand the pressure and bad weather day-to-day market conditions cause. All aboard? Seek more returns at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. Taking with Peter Wartenhood, CEO for Life Healthcare. Results for year in September, revenue up 10.3%, full year dividend 44 cents, that's up 10%, and then normalized earnings per share up 11.4%, helps from continuing ops off four. Peter, appreciate the time. Strong local paid patient days. Is this a return to sort of post-pandemic normal, or are you picking up some market share here? It's a little bit of both, I think, Simon. In the context of picking up market share, we concluded three network deals and proudly refer to ourselves as the largest preferred network provider of hospital care in the country. So that has contributed significantly to the increase in volumes across the infrastructure. And yes, the normalization of the case mix would suggest that we're returning to pre-COVID type levels. But that's always a very difficult forecast to make. I don't stand behind it. I just mainly make an observation. The network deals, I mean, what sort of duration are they typically? I mean, is it an annual review process or what's the process there? Typically, they're three-year deals. And that allows us to cement ourselves into a position where we've gained some market share, gained incremental volumes. And off the back of that, use the volume throughput in the hospital complexes to design and deliver new value-based care products, which we think will make us even more competitive. What sort of occupancy levels are you running at your hospitals at this point? Our ICUs are north of 80%. In aggregate for the year, we've reported a 68% occupancy across the hospital complexes. But across our total complexes, including rehabilitation and mental health, it's just nudging just north of 70 Okay, those are chunky numbers. What about input costs? I mean, certainly this has been a year of inflation. Certainly, I can't imagine that medical has been escaping inflation. How have you been managing inputs? Well, the most important driver of our cost base is our nursing costs. Mm -hmm. They are absolutely vital to the operations of the hospitals. And typically, they've enjoyed greater than CPI inflation adjustments. So our cost base has been under pressure, and uh, responsibly so. In addition to which, we've taken some hits with increased electricity costs, diesel costs as a result of load shedding were probably the most significant items to report. We've also spent far more on technology as we've modernized the infrastructure as a modern healthcare company is required to do. Mm-hmm. But I think those are the key parts of the cost driver base. Nursing skills. I mean, there's been a lot of talk around a skills shortage in South Africa in many areas, one of them certainly healthcare, certainly in nursing. Is that creating a pain point for your operations? Not only does it create a pain point for us and all other healthcare providers, but it is the forward-looking piece of that statement that is absolutely worrisome. Mm-hmm. South Africa, like the rest of the world, is short of nurses. And if the ambition statement around delivering NHI is to be true, then we need more nurses and we need them fast. In addition to which, we look in the telescope and you can see a shortage of doctors on the horizon as well. So access to sufficient skills and the specialized skills is critical in healthcare. And it's a problem that has to be taken seriously. And we have voiced our frustration at not being allowed to train enough nurses. And we will not stop talking about it. We have to be permitted to train more nurses. South Africa has to train more nurses. You mentioned globally. I mean, this is more, it's a huge problem locally, but it's a global issue as well. Just healthcare professionals are in short supply. 
Absolutely. Whether I'm traveling in the United Kingdom, the United States, everyone goes back to the same common denominator in the conversation. We are short of nursing skills. We need more. You mentioned load shedding a moment ago. I mean, in hospitals, load shedding is critical. If my burger joint power goes off, they can manage. Not so much the case in hospitals. Are you almost insulated from load shedding at this point now when it happens? Well, not insulated on the basis that the grid doesn't go down, but we've got sufficient alternatives in all our hospital complexes of at least uh, two diesel generators. We use supplemental power, uh, solar power, but that only operates given the technology that we invested in some years ago when the grid's actually on, so it's more of a cost reduction Mm -hmm. approach as opposed to a backup approach. But yes, it's critical. But while you're talking about that, water is even more critical. Without water, a hospital cannot operate. That's almost the next crisis coming. I mean, is that something which you're already provisioning within the hospitals? And in some ways, perhaps harder than generators or solar. You can make electricity far easier than you can make water, says the accountant. (laughs) But yes, what we've done is where we've had permission and it's been accessible, we've drilled boreholes in close proximity to the hospitals where that facility is viable. In other aspects, we've got sufficient water storage capacity to back the hospital up if the potable water supply fails. Mm -hmm. And in the extreme event where we run out of backup capacity and, shall we say, municipal supply of water, we've got arrangements with water tankers to be able to supplement what the hospital requires. Life molecular imaging, your offshore unit, loss-making, but my sense of reading through the numbers is that this really is around, as it scales up, you're getting approvals for a number of products and across the world in that space. Absolutely. A really exciting moment in the development of that division and its prospects. It's been years in the making. The technology that they have developed in the radioisotope Neuroseq cost hundreds of millions of dollars to develop. It took nearly a decade of research, if not more, We're now in a position where the commercial realities are there for everyone to see, that we have a complete Alzheimer's care pathway in the U.S. We have diagnostics available. We have disease-modifying drugs for Alzheimer's that are now viable and are commercialized. And the medical aids in the USA will pay both for the diagnostic and for the treatment. So the demand for diagnostics is going up. And we can start to see that in the improvement in the commercial sales that we are showing in the USA. But there's still a long way to go and lots more that we can do. So, yes, nice growth off a small base. We need the base to be bigger. You mentioned U.S. there. I imagine this is something that, subject to regulatory processes, I mean, the rest of the world is equally viable. Absolutely. The USA just happens to be well ahead of that curve. Mm -hmm. But we have established distribution, manufacturing or sales agreements across 44 countries already for Neuroseek. We're just waiting for the care pathways to be, as you say, the regulations to catch up. And then we are up and running in other jurisdictions. But the USA is the primary area of focus for the sales teams today. And then last Alliance Medical Group, you've announced the sale of that subject to some approvals. One of them, I think, is a shareholder vote in a couple of weeks. And some of that proceeds, $8.4 billion, back to shareholders, either special dividends or buybacks. The 8.4 is the bit that's coming back to shareholders. Mm-hmm. And we've telegraphed a portion of that, probably $1.5 billion for share buybacks and the balance in cash. The shareholder vote is on the 8th of December, and the conditions precedent should be fulfilled the first quarter of 2024. So we're telegraphing to the market that the dividend will be paid back to them probably Q2 of 2024. Q2, we'll leave that there. Peter Wartenhood, CEO, Life Healthcare. Appreciate the time. If seagulls were hard at ours, who could afford to retire to the coast, what kind of bird would you be? Would you soar over the savannah or chase summer around the globe? You see, even when you stop working, your money won't. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. 
Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Remember, it was last month I was chatting with uh, Nikki Quinn. She's a retail lead for South Africa at uh, uh, GFK. We were talking about Black Friday. And in fact, at the point, she made two things that really resonated. Firstly, it's become an entire month of specials. And secondly, those specials aren't all very special. And that for me is kind of like a key point. I want real discounts. Well, I'm not playing. Uh, 10%. I mean, 10% is nice, but I get those sort of deals in my inbox at any point in the year. Real deals. What happened to those 50% off, 75% off? Remember, I mean, it it happened in South Africa. It was huge, uh, sort of in the US, where the crowds for those discounted TVs, the massive discounts, and they all seem to have disappeared. and, And now we're getting... I think we're getting played with, with very, very modest deals. There's some other important points. Firstly, track the pricing. Is it really? We know that scam, right? You push the price up a few weeks in advance and then you suddenly discount it down. There are websites that will track pricing changes so you can check if it's a real deal. They will give you uh, typically about a year and a half, sometimes two or three years of pricing. And you can go and see, ah, oh, that's special is actually not so special. So track down those, just uh, Google that, you'll find a bunch of those sort of websites that'll help you as well. Um, and, and watch the T's and C's. You know, sometimes there will be, sure, you've got a nice discount here, but suddenly delivery seems extreme or there's there's extra charges. Maybe there's a, you need a, a club membership or something like that. There, there's lots of opportunity here to sort of pull the wool over our eyes in the one area while quickly charging us in the other area. And then, of course, what perhaps most important is, you know, do we really need it? I mean, it's tough out there, the need versus the want. And, and we need to be careful. Oftentimes, a, a big discount number turns what is a want into a need. We suddenly think, hmm, that is special. We really need it. It's not going to be the same without it. Uh, but actually, we just being We'll be being played with price. We're absolutely being played on price. So uh, Black Friday is uh, technically next week. Uh, all sorts of uh, craziness going to be happening out there. Uh, stay safe and uh, I suppose, most important, protect your credit card. Let's not make Black Friday turn into a horror December. And then, of course, we've got a genuine worry. That's it for today. We were chatting with Mia Krichler yesterday from Kruger International. The multi-choice results, I mean, they losing local customers, although as she pointed out, they had some 300,000 customers who they'd put onto zero-paying plans because of load shedding. I, I, I hadn't heard of that at all. But anyway, she said, you know what, there's some yield there. There is some green shoots there. But there are also some absolute challenges there. We asked you if you are still using DSTV, if it's something that you do. Almost half of you were equal between yes for the sport or no, you cancelled ages ago. And that is the key point. It is largely around the sport. Without that, I think DSTV would almost be without a business. The rest of you were split between, yep, great uh, offering. Uh, and some of you were saying Showmax only. And some of the comments were, you know what, you've just gone streaming. Whether it be Showmax, it might be Netflix, whatever the case is. Uh, but DSTV just seems too expensive. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning, the MoneyWeb website and the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobuchle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. I'm out next week. I'll chat Monday after next.
You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money 24-7.